Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, folks. It's V the Gorilla Economist coming to you on this edition of Rogue News in the Morning. We have with us our man of the hour who needs no introduction whatsoever. It is the one and only London Paul himself from The Serious Report. You can check out his work over at theseriousreport.com. And for less than the price of a floppy lappe latte mate with an extra shot of espresso that you get at Starbucks, you can get the daily play-by-play of the geostrategic, geoeconomic, and the geopolitical as it is happening in what we call the world of adults, which is basically the multipolar world. So if you want, <laughs> you want the play-by-play of what's really happening and the real movers and shakers and how the landscape is going to look in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years, go to com and subscribe. And with that being said, Paul, CJ, what's going on, gentlemen? How are you? Yeah, very well. And you? So far, so good. I can't complain, Paul. I'm uh, hanging in there. I'm uh, awaiting the imminent return of Donald Trump to power on August, as well as uh, JFK Jr. Uh, you know, he's going to go on the apology tour, so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Exciting, exciting time ahead. Yes. Yes, and and then and then when we get to August the first, it'll be uh, Christmas, and then New yeah, Year's, and, and then Easter, and then, Easter. And then summer. In the summer, and and then and then we'll get to twenty twenty four, and 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 they'll go. He's going to stand for president. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but let's not let's forget the last three years that we kept telling you it was happening. Uh, next week, next month, next year. But, yeah, exactly. Paul, lots going on. We have the situation in the South China Sea. We have the Ukraine situation heating up. We have uh, exceptional stand posturing all over the world. Uh, you have the uh, the supposed, again, we're pulling it. I don't know if you've heard the latest news. We are pulling out of Afghanistan for the 15th time, Paul. On 9-11, no less. You know, so that's the date <laughs> for that. All sorts of shenanigans. Nobody believes the U.S. The U.S. has zero credibility on the, in, on the international stage. Uh, it, it's the equivalent of the drunk uncle that comes over for dinner. You just, you just grin and look at him. That, that that's all it is. You just, you just, you know, just smile and uh, nod, and uh, nobody takes him seriously. So that's uh, the. Where do you want to begin, Paul? Where do you want to begin? Well, let, well, let's talk about some international stuff. Obviously, there's enormous developments going on, sort of literally day by day at the moment. But I was saying. To, to CJ before we came on Earth. What's very, very clear now within the United States and, and other Western nations is just how utterly dysfunctional uh, the political system's becoming. We're literally within the political system. You, you have these core 
of individuals who are so wedded to the political system, who can never deviate from from what you know the political system says. So in terms of the US, well, it's always about Ru- Russia's doing everything. Russia's uh, trying to undermine the US intelligence. It's trying to undermine US elections. It's trying to undermine the, the United States itself. And, and they're trying to start theaters of, of war and conflict all over the world. And the political system so wedded to this that it cannot deviate from it, even though it knows in reality it's nonsense, because if it does, what will happen is people will turn around and go, hang on, you're a politician, you've just done a 180. Well, that's career suicide, so we'll throw you on the scrap heap. And most of these people are so wedded to the political system for all the reasons we know that they couldn't function outside it because no one would give them a job anyway. And, And the problem is that Therefore, this whole insanity just carries on. And uh, and then, of course, occasionally you'll get a policy decision that differs greatly from political consensus. And we've talked before, and we don't really know who's running the United States. It most certainly isn't Biden. And Harris seems to be sort of persona non gratis. I don't, I don't hardly ever seem to hear her name even mentioned. So it's debatable who's driving u.s policy as i mean okay we know presidents don't drive policy but it's debatable but there's a lot of contradictions in there which i think you know we've talked about the old reality which is u.s hegemony which is the the never quite succeeded unipolar world and it's uh what i call death destruction and grand larceny and it's all dollar driven and anyone who defies the dollar has to be sanctioned killed, uh, regime change, uh, economically put to the sword, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the new paradigm, which we say is the world of adults, which is, well, we want a world where everyone cooperates. We don't want wars anymore. We're not going to have a world reserve currency to dominate and dictate to other nations. We want to trade outside the dollar and we want to encourage the world to develop so we have all these poles that uh, eventually there can be parity and so you develop not just southeast asia which is maturing very rapidly but you you've got the african continent south america central america hopefully the u.s can join the party at some point as a as a adult again among instead of behaving like a well a very dangerous juvenile delinquent and so the issue is that those are the two worlds now obviously we're now starting to see elements inside like europe for example where you'll have nations like hungary who's going well actually we want to have you know trade initiatives with with the chinese we want to have cooperation with russia we're going to join a Russian sort of international bank. We're going to, we're, we're actually going to treble our gold holdings to, they've got 95 tons. So they're sort of uh, uh, kind of breaking the trend in Europe, which is never talks about gold. And we've got cooperation with them in terms of, with the Russians in terms of nuclear power. So you've got some sort of, and then you, you have the, the sort of bedrock of Europe that's just, it, there are elements who understand that, that the future has to change, but a lot of them are still wedded to this old kind of subservience to, to the United States. And then within the U.S. itself, you, you've got these initiatives where, where, you know, and you mentioned Afghanistan, and it's a good example, where there's, there's still 
the political system that goes, no, we can't leave Afghanistan. We're there to defend the freedoms of Americans thousands of miles from home. And apparently, if we're not there, you know, in this 20-year war of attrition, spending trillions of dollars, and we, who knows how many American service personnel have died uh, as a result of this. But, no, we have to be there because if we're not, America might get invaded again by al-Qaeda and there might be another another 9-11, as though somehow that contains the problem in Afghanistan where we know for a fact al-Qaeda is operating in Pakistan and Iraq and in Syria and, and we can go on and on. So we know if anyone gives it a moment's thought, it just doesn't make any sense. But the political system says, well, we've always believed that. We, we have to keep towing this line. But then you get all people in the political system are going, no, this this can't carry on anymore. We we have to get out and leave. And so, hence, whoever's really sort of pulling the levers with Biden's come out and said, we need to go. And by all accounts, there they genuinely is a desire to go. Now, does that mean the US is going to leave? Well, we know when Trump said we're leaving Syria, then we had all the fake chemical weapons attacks uh, attributed to Assad. So we know it's not a set in stone situation but clearly what we're seeing as a result of some policy decisions internationally is there are elements within the military we've always had cool heads in the military there are some hot heads who, who'd like to go to war with around tomorrow but the consensus is no that's not a feasible thing to do and then you've got the very dysfunctional intelligence agencies not just in the u.s but they're ably aided and abetted by the UK and, and the other five eyes. And they're, they're all hell-bent on just endless wars and conflict. And, and, and we can talk a bit about what the, what the, you know, where the latest theatre of conflict is. And there is clear reasons that we understand that to be the case, apart from mid, the Middle East being the obvious one and Central America and, and obviously Venezuela, etc. So... But there are elements within the intelligence agency that clearly now have gone, we've had enough of this. This is this is ludicrous. We're not there's no point being here, it's not achieving any objectives and uh, and and therefore it's time to move on. So there's all this dysfunctional thing going on. But then you've got the flip side where there's definitely moves to to leave the theatres of conflict in, in the Middle East. But of course there's the other problem with this is it's like, well, you can't just pull them, the military out because, remember, we're the United States. We're the exceptional nation. We, you know, we're, everyone looks up to us. So we can't lose face. Otherwise, people might not believe this anymore, even though most of the world doesn't. And then you've got the military. Well, we don't want to humiliate the military by pulling them out. And the Taliban's going to go lord it over them that, uh, look, the United States has finally left and we were responsible because that damages morale in the military damages our credibility and it's all just bullshit optics to 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 convince everyone that it's business as usual instead of just going well actually we should never have been here why are we here and yeah and it's time to leave and, and in fact biden actually made some, whoever wrote his speech made some pretty intelligent remarks about their futility of being there but there are so many competing elements and it remains to be seen what competing element wins through in terms of, of ongoing policies in the Middle East. I mean, the JCPOA is a great example where there is support for, for the US rejoining, which it should do, because it's in no position to negotiate. And Iran doesn't need the, to, to gain any 
agreement from the US anymore. It's got enough allies in China and Russia so it can say, do you know what? We don't care anymore. You don't join. In fact, we'll just keep backing away from it. We'll just keep enriching uranium to higher percentage levels. And, and if Israel wants to to start meddling and, and launching missiles at our ships and meddling in our internal infrastructure, do you know what? We'll just ratchet up the, the percentage of enrichment. And eventually, if it carries on, We'll enrich at ninety percent, and we can, and that's the nuclear weapons threshold. Not saying they're going to, but they're quite happy to play this game, and it's up to the U.S. But again, it's a political thing. We can't be seen to join again because it looks like a weakness. We're we're a weak nation if we we leave and then rejoin. And and again, it's just this nonsensical system that goes. Well, actually, let's do the right thing. No, we even if there are elements who want them. And I think whatever we think of the political system, there are certainly people within that who want to do the right thing. And they may be lone voices, but there's the ones who don't say an awful lot who actually want to get out of this conflict. And then there's the ones who are absolutely wedded to that. And it can be because you know, they're bought and paid for by the military-industrial complex and other spheres of influence who want to see this endless continuous war or war footing just to justify enormous amounts of military expenditure and as much as we've just highlighted biden wants to you know or someone wants to bring the american troops home from from afghanistan and but then it's no but we still need to spend obscene amounts of money on our military budget so the argument is where's that going to be spent and it's probably largely not even an issue now we don't Paul, need a theater of conflict. Yeah. Paul, let me pause you for just a moment. Uh, so go back uh, a little bit in regards to Biden's decision. And obviously, you know, Trump had been, you know, the writing was on the wall in regards to troop withdrawal from Afghanistan. Uh, we, we know that there are several theaters that are at hand in terms of, of what is happening. You know, Ukraine, I mean, you, you name it, the Southeast China Sea, it, you know, I, I tried to frame and take it to take, take, look at it in terms of the decision to leave. And, and obviously, I, I fully support the withdrawal from Afghanistan. But, you know, my concern is, again, is that, you know, where where are those troops going to go? Uh, where, where are they going to be deployed to next? <laughs> I think that's a question. And I think the U.S. understands that there are too many theaters where, uh, you know, it, it, there's a potential of being spread too thin. Uh, to be involved in in Ukraine, to be inv in, involved in Iraq, whatever's happening. Uh, so it's it's just kind of interesting to kind of assess the actual decision. You know, be interesting to hear the conversation behind the scenes as they decided to to announce that. Oh yeah, no, you make a great point because there is always this element that that on on some really sort of bizarre level goes well. Our military is geared to be overseas and we've got hundreds of bases. And even if they just sat around twiddling their thumbs most of the time, not actually doing anything. But if we have to bring them all home, then there's the issue is what are they going to do? Twiddle their thumbs at home. So, but of course, the US is already telegraphed for quite some time uh, in, in a kind of soft, not even a soft power way, just a kind of that our new theater of conflict is we have to contain China. And part of the reason for the whole issue of putting, you know, missile defense systems in South Korea is less about subjugating North Korea. It's more about, well, 
you can put missiles that actually are in range of um, not only uh, China, of course, but also people who don't know the geography would, you know, that Russia is the Russian Far East, you know, the missiles can reach that. So it's all about, okay, soft power projection, but we've seen developments where they've been, and it's this classic USMO. If it wants to destabilize a nation, uh, whatever nation, so let's take uh, Thailand, for example, they start putting in NGOs who then, who, who get funded from, from Washington, and the NGOs are there to destabilize the, the existing government that's uh, and to, to rile the masses up to protest. And and hopefully, from the US perspective, that gets someone out who they don't want politically inside that country. And they want a more Western-centric uh, you know, presidency. Why? Because they, they, they want to contain the Asian nations because there's the RCEP trade deal, and they don't want China's influence extending into Southeast Asia. So if they don't achieve the objective uh, in terms of uh, of removing someone by peaceful means, they'll then try and have some sort of direct overthrow. The problem is it's getting it, they're increasingly failing to do that. I mean, we've seen it didn't happen in Cuba, hasn't happened in Nicaragua or Venezuela. They failed in, in Syria, and the Southeast Asia is a far tougher nut for them to crack. But it doesn't mean they won't try, and there's a whole bunch of developments, and that the Myanmar is a very complicated uh, story. But it, it also follows where there's the whole idea that you know, same mo, let's demonise whoever's in power, let's you know, in, 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 let's create a bunch of fake stories about what the the uh, the uh, Myanmar military is doing since they you know basically took over and. And it's to convince people, and it's to justify to to the rest to, to the rest of the world. Well, on this basis, we can then sanction whoever we like. We're sanctioning them because it's we're all about democracy. We believe implicitly in in democracy. So that's the justification. Why it's just to weaken the country, weaken the governance structure because they, they in Myanmar they want a Western puppet in there. And why? Because obviously China shares a border, but of course. Myanmar has is obviously has a coastline to the Bay of Bengal, and China's made a whole bunch of investments there. And and this is all it is it's just ridiculously predictable. Mo, you can just take any nation, just just assess well what's currently going on in. I mean, they tried it in Laos, they failed. They've tried it in Cambodia, they've failed. They've tried it in Vietnam, they've failed. And but they'll keep punching away, trying to destabilize some nation because they think as well. Well, if we, we succeed in one nation, we might make it stick in other nations. And that's what the U.S. does. I mean, that that's basically the MO. They get supported by the Five Eyes Alliance. So you've got to, you know, but they'll put in, the you know, sort of NGOs in these with probably people who are embedded in the intelligence services and they'll make all the right noise and they come out. And with social media being what they are, they can tell us all about all these horrendous things that are happening in whatever nation they, is is on the list for for regime change or whatever it might be, and then they'll say, "Okay, we'll con- we'll condition people." So we're not only conditioning people inside the country to believe this, but we're conditioning the rest of the world. So when the U.S. comes out, and goes, "We're sanctioning so and so," it's because we're we're fighting for democracy, which of course 
a lot of people in the West buy this nonsense. But of course, the reality has got nothing to do with democracy. It's another attempt for them to try and assert their influence in nations. But increasingly, they're failing. In the last decade, they've had countless failures in attempting to do this. And even when they removed Gaddafi in, in Libya, look, Libya's just turned into a completely failed state. And they don't have any control over anything. So, I mean, they, they've had no success and all they've done is destroyed Libya in the process. And who knows how long that particular problem will take to resolve. But yes, they've moved the theatre of conflict and they want to put more bases in, in Southeast Asia. They want to pressure Japan to have more missile defence systems and they want to try and go to China with Taiwan, which is utterly ludicrous. But of course, it's interesting to note that that whilst the US is trying to project this, that in the last month or two, China and Russia have been very explicitly clear to the US that this kind of thing is no longer going to be tolerated. And and in fact, the US is starting to to back away from certain theatres of conflict and 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 not attempt to to stoke any more tensions. And Belarus is a good example because Anyone who doesn't know European geography, Belarus, surprise, surprise, shares a border with Ukraine and also, of course, shares a border with Russia too. And that's obviously to the south and to the east. And obviously, there was a desperate attempt to, to have regime change in Belarus. It's failed. And then there was a big plan again in once, you know, you get through the Belarusian winter and to have... Uh, more protests that, of course, U.S. NGOs are stoking in Belarus. And, uh, and, and of course, they were supposed to happen March and into April. It's not, it's not materialized because that's being squashed. The other thing you note in Southeast Asia, they've expelled in some nations many of these NGOs and organizers. They just kicked them out and told them, you're not, you know, not going to be here because they know full well what they're there for. So it amuses me with the way the US has the audacity to accuse China and Russia of meddling when they're trying to meddle in every single country that doesn't fit their MO, but as a but that's another example of desperation and and they have got this scattergun approach now where they're just trying anywhere and everywhere to try and make something stick and, and it's failing it uh, and that's not least because the, the resistance from China and Russia is immense. And we spoke before about the, the sort of trade and um, talks that happened in Alaska in Anchorage. And when China very visibly just castigated the U.S. and said, yeah, the, the days of you trying to dictate to us are over. They didn't say that just it wasn't words. That's words now backed up with actions. And, uh, and it has reached that point. But it's another classic example of an empire that's failing because it's trying to project all this faux power. It's trying to keep doing the same MO. And Southeast Asia is a lot more alert and alive to the reality of this. And whereas, uh, you know, you could arguably say in other nations, they weren't so quick to see this. But Venezuela is a great example. How long have they been trying to shoehorn Guaido? In? And, and here's the point. Does anyone even mention that guy anymore? Seems you know, the funny thing is, Paul, is that it, even in his local district that this uh, this this deviant erupted from, nobody even knows who he is. Nobody has nobody has any idea who Guan Guaido is. When, whenever he shows up, if he's not with massive security, even with massive security, Paul, they're throwing bottles, rocks, shoes, anything they can at him. 
Nobody likes him. And that this is the guy that lie, cheat, and steal Pompeo has, you know, put out there, you know, during the Trump administration years as the president, the democratically elected president of Venezuela. This is a joke. And this is what I fear. We have the United States poll has besmirched, ruined, destroyed, racked, eviscerated any sort of reputation. I mean, I mean, I was just, you know, just thinking back the other day, Paul, I'm trying to put an article together. I'm thinking back the other day. At the end of the Cold War, everybody loved America. Everybody loved, America. wow, this is, you know, the city on the hill, the, the, the indispensable nation. Oh, how wonderful, how great. And they went around ruining it. They had an opportunity here to build something great, but they've ruined it. Nobody in the world trusts America anymore. Nobody in the world trusts the U.S. They cannot even rely on U.S. treaties. They cannot rely on trade talks. I mean, we have become a, a, a schizophrenic mental patient on the world stage. There's no other way to put it, Paul. There's no other way to put it. We're crazy. Yeah, it's sad because you you make the point during the sort of Reagan era. That, and yeah, U.S. popularity was enormous. Okay, we can argue about the whole issue of, of the fall of the Soviet Union, what it meant in reality, but... But, you know, the, the Reagan era was, you know, U.S. popularity was huge. I can remember, you know, being, you know, the sort of late 80s. And, I, you know, I remember very clearly the U.S. were, yeah, were held in very high esteem. And But then what happened in the, uh, you know, we had the Balkan Wars yep. during the Clinton era where they, you know, and uh, that was deliberately intended just to, to rip Yugoslavia apart, balkanize the whole region, and, and, and then the slippery slope. And, and it's been that case ever since. And, and gradually, the world now knows with the U.S. satellite. You can't trust them with anything. And, you know, and it, I mean, it's now also got to the point where the world's kind of going, and even certainly elements within the U.S. are going, why the hell are we sanctioning people? I mean, I mean the latest thing is, Again, it's you know, Biden wants to have reproachment with Russia. He wants a summit with Putin. He's even agreeing we're not going to put our warships through the Bosphorus. Or, uh, and then, but then the political element that's that's totally dysfunctional and wedded to any anti-Russia everything goes. But remember, they interfered in the election, so we so we're going to have to push sanctions. So they've got all these ludicrous sanctions that don't mean anything. And again, it's just bullshit optics to make people go, oh. The U.S. has been tough on, on, on Russia. And, it's a joke. And in the end, it, 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 it's it a is. Joke. It's, it's a terrible. It, it's anybody who believes this farce, this farce of military supremacy. Okay, they're the only ones that believe. Oh, the U.S. is being tough. They're not being tough. It's a, nobody takes them seriously. It's, a, it's ridiculous. No, and the point is, the U.S. is relied. I've called it the emperor has no clothes, and the. Yeah. And they've re they relied on the fact that everyone thought the emperor had clothes, and therefore there was, you know, always this fear. Well, you know, I mean, we we can't actually go in and and really start being hard. I mean, you look back to the Obama era. I remember in you know there was supposed to be when Obama went, Syria's crossed a red line, and we're going to go in with all guns blazing, and Obama didn't. I was think twenty thirteen. Yeah. Now that was the point when you went. The emperor doesn't have clothes. It likes to pretend it does. It likes to, to but yeah, okay. We're not saying the U.S. has has, has launched you know these these indiscriminate missile strikes for for fake chemical weapons attacks. But that was as much just to make Trump go, 
no, we we can't leave because you know it was it's all about the children. That was the that was the thing that that, you know, that was Trump's breaking point. They're, they're killing children, Mr. President. Okay, well we're we're, we're staying there. But but if you look, I mean, the U.S. was all threatening to uh, to to launch a missile strike on Iran, and suddenly the the the, the ninth hour, Trump pulled out and went, no, no, we're not doing it. It was the same in North Korea. I mean, there was a spell for a few days in in twenty eighteen, where twenty seventeen, sorry, where you know the world was hanging on a knife edge because the U.S. was again threatening to go in all guns blazing and take preemptive strike. And what a surprise! The U.S. walked away, and the U.S. now doesn't even mention North Korea, even though North Korea just launches missiles now for the fun of it. Which must annoy Kim Jong Un because he's not getting any uh, joy out of. No one's interested in doing it. But the point is, he's only doing the same things he was doing then. But the U.S. was basically saying, "Well, we, you know, we we probably have to go to war because of this." But the U.S. walked away and won't touch it now because Chinese and the Russians said, "If you launch a preemptive strike, we will sink your entire fleet in the South China Sea, and you can't stop us doing it." And of course, they are. They're, they're sitting ducks. So the U.S. went, "No, we can't have that because again." It's the image. If the U.S. got a serious bloody nose in in the Korean Peninsula, or a serious bloody nose in, in the Middle East, or the they Black can't Sea, face, yeah, or the Black Sea, they can't face the humiliation of that because in their eyes, the world will go. The U.S. doesn't have any clothes. The emperor is doesn't wear any clothes whatsoever. But it's perception, and and they also fear. Well, what will the American people think? They'll they'll see we're not you know, the exceptional nation because because someone gave us a bloody nose who we claim that we're much stronger militarily and <laughs> economically, etc. So that's the that's the governing thing, but you know, the world's now largely going, you don't have any clients because you, everywhere you go, you fail. And and they're even getting less confrontational. They're, they're, they're kind of no longer sort of even with Ukraine going, well, you know, they're going, we support your territorial integrity well what does that even mean i mean you know that i mean what are they actually saying it's just words okay there's some tokenistic sort of idea of assisting ukraine but we're not saying it's going to happen but if russia invaded ukraine tomorrow ended the war in donbass the u.s would just sit there and do nothing yeah they'd scream and holler and and threaten to sanction every russian in, in living in the world but they wouldn't do anything because they you know full well they're not going to be in a position to do it because the other flip side to this is, yeah, there's a few lunatics inside the Beltway who want World War Three. The vast majority, military intelligence, the military, people inside you know, the Congress, um, the Senate, you know, sorry, the Senate and the House, all these people, they don't want World War Three because they know it's mutual self-destruction. The US wants to create the impression that there could be a war or we need to defend America's interests. So people, the politicians will tell everyone we have to spend $750 billion a year to defend our interests all over the world. And the American people will sit there and go, yeah, we agree with this, instead of going, as we said many times before, well, actually, why don't you spend it on our country? Why don't you spend all of it on infrastructure? Why don't you make a healthcare, a universal healthcare available instead of blowing the world up? Sort of wasting trillions of dollars in, in in Afghanistan. Imagine what you could have done to the health service, or imagine what you could have done to bat better the American people. But they 
They conditioned the American but, people. But, Paul, that's socialism, Paul. That's <laughs> socialism. Well, that's the other. Yeah, that's well, that's the other thing. Let's call things that are, you know, we talk about human rights. These are human rights. These are things yeah. every American should have. But let's brand it as socialism, which Americans believe is communism. Therefore, oh no, no, we can't have that. Well, it's here, just here's the funny thing, Paul. The the funny thing is, look how well they have it programmed. Look how well the programming is. I mean, folks, take a step back and just put on your thinking caps. You know, let's have an adult conversation. Look at the programming. The U.S. has spent $37 trillion, that's with a T, folks, on foreign wars and occupations, overthrowing governments, coups, assassination attempts, you name it. $37 trillion. The bottom 50% of our nation's population is right now either facing poverty and or food security. An average medical bill can bury an American family, okay? And these are real systemic problems, and we have a broken system with morons running on both ends. And when we, any sort of social safety net, any sort of uh, necessity that, that every other developed nation in the world has for its citizenry, they don't want to give it to you. Because these greedy bastards will say, hold on, that's socialism. And that triggers within you, oh, yeah, we don't need anything like that. Folks, something's seriously broken here. You, 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 I'm a free market capitalist. But when you've blown $37 trillion in foreign war, wars and you've printed over $6 trillion and counting on this whole COVID stuff, like, why can't you cover somebody's health? Why can't you? have better paved roads? Why can't you have more efficient systems? This is what people need to think about. Think about it, folks. It, it, it's kind of crazy. I'm not saying, you know, have some sort of a, a um, some sort of an austere, you know, uh, uh, socialized medical system where, where with death panels or anything like that, but something that is way better than what we have. And, and when these guys say socialism, it is shutting down the debate, Paul, that nobody can have a conversation. Yeah, because that's immediately the way people go, no, no, we don't want that. But, okay, you know, let's, I mean, it, I mean, this has happened in the UK where they've turned, you know, further education going to university to do degrees. They've turned it into a cash cow for to put people massively in debt. And universities have just become great big businesses that charge, you know, ridiculous student fees. And then, you know, students are coming out with enormous debt with no hope of getting a job. Now, you know, hate to say this, but China has extremely affordable education. They have extremely affordable health care for their people. And people go, yeah, but that's socialism because China's doing it. No, it's communism. Man. No, it's, it's a basic human right. You should have no citizen who could die because they cannot afford health care. If that's not the most egregious human right violation, I don't know what is. You, you should never have a situation where that applies to any person who lives in your nation. Now, OK, fortunately, in the UK, we have you know, free medical health care. I mean, doesn't mean that people don't die unnecessarily, but. But it is available. Okay, we're not going to get into all the, the nonsense that's gone on in the last year because of this. 
Well, I think there's now apparently 4.8 million people waiting for operations. <laughs> I mean, because because apparently it's all about COVID cases. But anyway, that's a whole separate subject. But how many people in the last 20 years have died in the US because they couldn't afford to have medical treatment? Yep. I mean, I mean, and and, and if it's one person, it's one too many. But is anyone keeping the count of that? No, absolutely not, because they don't want anyone to go. Hang on a minute. You, that's you, a basic you have human people right. here, Paul. You have people dying uh, from pneumonia. You have people who've who've died where all of a sudden you know they call in sick from work. They're sicker than what longer than it needs to be. Uh, work lays them off. They lose their medical insurance. Then they can't find treatment, and next thing you know, the uh, neighbors are finding the individual dead in their home. I mean, this just I'm not, folks. It's it, yeah, you could have a system where, you know, you want to go for certain eye treatments, this, that, and the other. Or, yeah, make that, you know. But but the bare basic medical treatments, man, things that could, like, literally save a person's life. I mean, the the fact that people have to jump through hoops to to um, to get it, it's, it's incredible. It's incredible. It's incredible. Yeah, We're doing the best for our people. Saying, well, yeah, but that's just part of the conditioning to to make people believe that something is that's totally unacceptable is acceptable. And, and, you know, let's not just pick on the U.S. We have the same thing. It's just conditioning. People have been conditioned in the U.K. to believe all manner of things by, by in terms of the media and, uh, and in terms of how governments try to condition people's response to things. And, and it's all about just deflecting people away from actually standing there and and going, hang on a minute, we have a political system that's totally failed, but we still believe I'm going to vote this party because they're going to make all the difference. And there's people you know, who've, who voted for 20, 30 years and they still believe in this nonsense. And that shows the power of how easy it is to convince people that something's working for them when, it, when in fact it isn't. But of course, the problem is, and we've said this before, and particularly the pandemic has accelerated this, they're getting to the point now where the world of illusion is giving way to the world of reality. And they're not going to be able to hide that inflation's been there forever because now it's starting to get even. They're having to admit that uh, inflation's rising in a way, which means that obviously inflation's rising significantly greater and in ways they, they like to pretend doesn't exist. And you can't hide the fact millions tens of millions of people don't have jobs and people are becoming destitute and can't afford to pay their bills you can't hide that you can't hide that reality and they're having to face this reality and and increasingly i think the one thing we i've seen particularly in the uk is people are just not believing in the political system and anyway, it's great to see people i've known who've really believed in it saying it doesn't exist it's it's bullshit it, it's not reality i you know, I'm now seeing it for what it is. Well, it's taken a pandemic to, to do that. And it's changed a lot of people's attitudes in a in a positive way. And they're seeing through the illusion. And that's what this has done. It's created an illusion. And You know, we see situations. And I'm going to just give an example of this because lots of people have different perspectives on what the pandemic is. But in the UK, Johnson came out and made a statement the other day because, well, OK, we're not going to hear to discuss the merits of, how they de determine a case because there's definitely completely flawed testing processes. But even by their standards, they're doing like a million tests a day in the UK. 
and there's 2,000 people they're claiming. The numbers have fallen off, people dying's falling off. And they came out and went, even though they vaccinated, I think, 35 million people or something with at least a first dose. So they're going, well, it's got nothing to do with the vaccines. Now, people are going, you know, it's everything to do with lockdown. And people are going, hang on a minute. This is nonsense. Now, of course, there's people going, well, this is nefarious. Well, no, what they're actually doing, it's again psychology because they say, well, if we admit it's the vaccine, then people won't. Well, just say, sod this, I'm not, I'm not you know, engaging in any of these lockdown measures. Okay, they're starting to roll them back now, but it's psychology. So if you make people and the masses will believe this, they'll go, no, it's not the vaccine. I've had the vaccine, but it's not there. It's the lockdown. Then they'll keep adhering to that process. And that's that's just conditioning. It's not we're, we're going to, to nefariously keep everyone in lockdown forever. I mean, let's be brutally honest that doesn't even happen in north korea people don't get they don't have lockdown this idea they're going to keep everyone stuck in their houses for the rest of their lives is just nonsense that is not what's unfolding but they'll condition people because they want people to believe it's still a problem and yeah there's a section of society who goes this is nonsense i mean i can see straight through this is rubbish but there's a lot of people who've believed the government and they'll continue to believe it and they'll go, okay, it's in our best interest that, yeah, okay, they're rolling the lockdowns back, but we won't mix in massive numbers of people. And even though if you go anywhere in the UK now, if you go to the coast, it's just even with people, everyone's interacting. No one gives, gives a damn about it anymore. But that's what they're fearful because they think this is real because they're conditioned in the political system by other people to believe this is real. But everyone goes, no, they're all part of this nefarious plan. Most of these people in the political system don't know anything about healthcare, medical thing. They don't understand any of it. They're just parroting what someone else has told them. And again, it's the political system that says, well, do you know, if I stand there and say this virus isn't a problem, why are we doing all this? You get odd ones who do. But most of them are too frightened. And here's why. Because if they come out and say that and people react to that, and then they think, well, what happens if all the case numbers start going up and, and, the, and the virus grabs hold? Yeah, my political career is over because people will go, you were irresponsible. So they all toe the political line because they're too frightened to say anything differently because their job's gone. And once their political career is over, they've got nothing to fall back on. It's their life from their perspective is over. So they're as much conditioned by a system that they that is actually completely failing them as well, and it's putting all these some of these people in positions they don't want to be in. Does that mean everyone's in that position in the political system? No, but a lot of them are, and that's how it works. That's why you don't see politicians doing one eighties, going, "Well, actually, no, I don't agree with this." We do have quite a few MPs in in this country who oppose government policy. They've opposed lots of things, and they they've been consistently doing this, and and. To that, and then, and you know, that's credit to them. I mean, it's quite unusual to see that, but but that's how the system works. The system controls the people within it as much as you know. But people think they're all part of it. They're all got the hands in you know in in the trough. They're all getting brown paper envelopes. No, they're not. They're just part, they're just equally gullible people sucked into a propaganda wall to believe all manner of things. And uh, but the process is that policy here has woken a lot of people up 
So are people now going, I don't believe in this. I don't believe in this. I, now, okay, there's people veering off at extremes who think there's this global dystopian plan to stick us all in, you know, imprison us in our homes for the rest of our lives, which, of course, is, is nonsense and is never going to happen. Because, as I said, it didn't happen in Russia with Stalin. It doesn't happen with Kim Jong-un in North Korea, but apparently they're going to do it in the in the UK and Europe and the United States. Nonsense. And as you look at the US, we've got states after states going, we're not implementing this, we're not doing this. And the federal government's powerless to prevent it. And you know that's where the state takes control of the situation. And that is a positive thing in that yep. regard. Okay, there's lots of failures, but that is a positive. But it's all conditioning. The entire system depends on <clears throat> propaganda to convince you and I of, excuse me, all manner of things. But also the political system has to function with people. They don't want people like us in the political system because we question everything. They want people who they know are malleable and believe in a failed system because they, they believe implicitly that America's doing what it's doing because it's good for the people. People go, I can't believe they'll believe in this, but you're not those people. You don't think like that. Don't ever apply your level of understanding and, and of a situation and assume everyone else believes it. There are plenty of people who do believe this, and they'll believe it until it collapses. And that's happened throughout history. I mean, look at what happened in Germany during, during the, the Nazi era. How many Germans believed implicitly in this system enough to go to war, and it wasn't until it all collapsed and at the end of the war and they realized what's going on. And then all these people were horrified to understand that what had actually gone on and the reality. But that, again, is conditioning. And unfortunately, that's going to happen in Western nations where the collapse happens. There's going to be tens of millions or hundreds of millions or whatever collectively who are going to have that moment of, I don't believe I believed in this. So how did I ever buy this? How do I believe? Because the things they believe in will all disappear. And that's why we say the pandemic is the accelerator of the end, because all the things they've conditioned people to believe in will disappear. So what are the people going to sit there and go, oh, actually, I still believe in this? No, that's why in the UK, a lot more people don't believe in the political system. They don't trust the government even less than they did. They don't trust what's happening. They're now fearful for their own futures and they're going, well, the, the economy isn't what you told us it is. And, and that's the awakening of people. And unfortunately, in Western nations, it takes the collapse of everything to wake most people up. But as I say, it's very important. We can all sit there and go, well, I understand it from this perspective. But please don't assume that everyone else does or should do because people are in different states of buying into a system. And some people believe everything in the system is is good for them. And they will do that until it's gone. But as the system breaks down, more and more people will see through the reality of this. And that's the 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 fear they're in now, which is why now when I've seen it in the UK, they kind of now start to go, well, we might do so and so. And there's a huge backlash and then they stop talking about it. And they no, no, we're not going to do that now. And that's the point because they're now realizing at certain levels in the political system, hang on, everything is melting down. They're like, you know, Powell may sit there in the US and tell people the economy is going to be booming in Q2 and all these comments, 
we're not going to do X, Y, and Z. But they know in reality what's unfolding. But of course, again, they're mm -hmm. married to the system. And they can't go on and go, well, I'd like to tell you the dollar's history. The U.S. economy is finished. Uh, it's the end of the Western financial system. You know, well, I imagine a well apart from the fallout of what they did, their entire future is gone. They will lose all their pensions, their entitlements, and all the benefits of the position they hold. They'll be thrown on the scrap heap and thrown in the dustbin. They'll be accused of lying to the masses. It's a disgrace. It's an act of treason. So they're never going to do this. Because they can't do it, even if they want to do it, even though they know reality. And that's how bad the system is in controlling the people. So as much as people are fed up of the system controlling us, when you're in that system, it controls you. And what did Varoufakis made a great comment once were, you know, obviously he was a maverick. He said it as it is. And he sat down with some senior kind of Brussels figures and they said to him, you have a choice. You can be the guy who, who goes out there and, and, and tells the truth and uh, and you'll have, you'll have you know, five minutes of fame. You'll be thrown under the bus and that'll be the end of your career. You know, or you can be a person who weds to the system and you might be allowed to change a, a little thing or two, but you can function nicely in the system forever and, and, it, and you can have a nice life. So it's your choice. So they're basically admitting they're wedded to the system, and their attitude is, I'm doing well out of it. Why am I going to rock the boat? But as Varoufakis makes the point with regards to Greece, they did everything to prevent Greece leaving the European Union. They did everything to create austerity and tax hikes and basically gut but Greece. But in the end, the bureaucrats admitted, what, which was basically what Varoufakis said, you know, Greece should just default on its debt. And they admit in the end, Oh, yeah, Greece will have to default in the end, but that's tomorrow, and we'll manage that when we get there. But for now, we'll just keep the insanity going inside the European Union of how you know, nations are not allowed to leave. Why? Because it's a political system, and they can't rock the boat because their very own personal livelihood and future depends on it. That's, that's how you control the, a system. doesn't mean the people in it believe in it don't know the reality of what's happening, but they're not going to defy it because then they're thrown on the scrappy. And you know, their personal situation means we're not going to put ourselves in that position. If we can milk the gravy train, we'll keep milking it. And who cares whether you know, Europe blows up, the US blows up, Britain blows up? Because by the time it blows up, it'll be someone else's problem right. because the, you know, the wheel turns in the political system. Some of the you know, Democrat or Republican comes in and no one remembers who was responsible. In fact, no one can even remember any responsibility. It's like 2008. We sure. don't know what caused this. We had no idea what was going on. You know, even though, of course, everyone knew what the reality is, and that's how the system just keeps turning. And they'll go, but we'll fix it, even though they caused it to blow up. And, and of course, this time around, they can't fix it either. So, that's the nuts and bolts of how this ludicrous Western political system works. The other idea, it's all carefully mapped out and there's people playing moving chess pieces around in the world and it's absolutely not the case. No, that, it, it's not. It really isn't. It, it's, you know, there's a, if you're paying attention, you can see that there's a stark difference between what's going on in the West and what's going on in the East. 
And in the West, what you have is a political culture where the majority of people have humanities degrees. The majority of people have social uh, degrees. The majority of people have law degrees. You see in the West, what you have is a trend for plutocracy. It's not like that in the East. In the East, it's a meritocracy. In other words, you're taking the best and the brightest and allowing them to run the systems with the most efficiency as possible. You don't have that here. And that's why we're in such a the mess we're in, Paul. It's 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 a joke. It's 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 a completely different political culture. Yeah, and and the world is is really not even split in half now. There's the old unipolar world mentality is 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 very small. I mean, the people who actually believe in it and believe um, and, and truly believe in it is is extremely small and there's those who are wedded to the system who won't let go but but no it's going to fail i mean look there's plenty of people out there who everyone goes they're the movers and shakers they're the ones who are you know it's like you know people go davos and the world economic forum and the great reset they know the system's failed they know it's over and they're going how can we how can we individually survive in the future it's not how can we control the world, which they've never controlled anyway? And frankly, Davos is a talking shop. What major policy decisions have been discussed in, in Davos for decades have ever seen the light of day? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. So, but people, again, that's the the West always controls everything. So, oh, there's there going to be a reset. Oh, look, they've talked about the great reset. That's because they're going to roll something out. No, they just want to preserve their own their own standing. It's doggy dog. They, they they're not fighting for a system. They're trying to think. Well, it's the you know our date with destiny is coming rapidly. The gravy tra- trains drying up. How can we somehow save our own skins and have a future? Well, and that's all it is. But the rest of the world's going. No, I mean, and look at the statement she and, and Putin made at Davos. They were very clear. I mean, Putin said the unipolar world never existed. It never, it never came. It was never going to come to pass, and 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 he made it very, very clear that the world's moving on, and the world is moving on. It's just people in the West don't believe the world's moving on because they, because they, either they have believed the systems implicitly that we're the exceptional nation in the U.S. and nothing's going to change, or they believe that there's this overarching power structure that the old media tells them is true, even though there's no basis in reality. Therefore, oh, well, it must always be in place. Well, if it's always in place, explain to me what's going on in the rest of the world. And that's why I've always said, pay attention to what's going on in China, Russia. Pay attention to these. That's where the world, the new world's evolving. It's evolving with the West or without the West. If the West doesn't want to be part of it, that's the West problem. Because when it all collapses, what's the West going to have? Nothing. It won't have a dollar system. So if you think, this this Western controlling global empire that people think exists. Well, here's the point: they don't have the dollar. Who are they going to finance all these NGOs? Who are they going to? How are they going to pay for all their wars overseas? They can't do it because they don't have the the, the, the capital to do so. It's over. The only reason it's existed in the past is because people were wedded out of fear to the dollar, so they went, "Have our treasury bills, or we'll kill you." Give us loads of free dollars and we can spend it on whatever we want. Well, those days are over. So without the dollar mechanism, they have zero control over anything. Yeah, they might 
might want to scrap around and 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 give people the impression that you know they're going to do something internally within nations. The World Economic Forum is going to do anything. It might do something on a minor scale inside their own nations, but for how long? That's the other problem is the old reality. It's like pre-industrial revolution, to use an, uh, an analogy. It's a system where they all believed in the system. It was always going to be there. They were always in. And then we had the industrial revolution and these people, People were, were on the scrap heap. It was over for them. And the Industrial Revolution changed the whole dynamic of the world. Now, I'm not using a direct comparison. I'm just saying there are periods throughout history where an old reality thinks it's got it's in control. It likes to believe that nothing needs to change. It doesn't have to evolve. Well, we're at that point in history in a major way. The world's moving on. They're seeing the future. And you only have to look what was one of the Finnish ministers came out today when this link between Finland and China in terms of trade and, and rail links, this is very important for the future of Finland. There's a nation who understands the new reality. Yeah, you know, the Finns like, have always done their own thing, Paul. Well, yes, and, yeah. and Finland's actually one of those nations who's who wants who wants to uh, to have reproachment with Russia and end the nonsense and, and realises that the European Union, its current form, is over. So there are political entities and countries who recognise that. They're not, whether they get to form a government under the current structure is an entirely different situation, but we're not talking about populist governments, which have undoubtedly there's been an attempt to put them in, but it hasn't really succeeded. And it doesn't mean it won't have a chance of succeeding in the future. But that can be a good thing or a bad thing. But it is, this is the reality. So you can hitch your wagon to whatever world you want. If Germany wants to, to end Nord Stream 2, Russia goes fine, end it. We don't care because we'll sell all the, as we've said before, we'll sell all the gas to Asia. Asia will take it all and yep. you'll have not. Um, you know, and maybe we just might get fed up and switch off the gas supply through through Ukraine. So you can look forward to a freezing cold winter and you can deal with the problems. But because... they don't have to worry because the U.S. will step in and provide <laughs> unreliable and very expensive LNG that, that they will bring over by, by, by ships that are barely moving at this point. And they don't have all the the the, uh, the facilities to. No, they don't the even have. The, they don't even have the refining capability to even meet that need. This this is the insanity of it. There's nothing here. There's nothing here, Paul. We don't make anything. Well, and and, and that's the you know that you know I mean that's a whole separate subject, and we've discussed this elsewhere. The kind of future, and we we can talk about this in the future and the challenges. I mean, it's like. This really simplistic attitude that exists in the old media. Trump's going to triumph. Trump's going to remove the deep state. And America's going to overnight become this amazing, vibrant nation. Yeah, this I mean, happened. I mean, I mean Paul, seriously, let's take a look at semiconductors, right? If you take a look at semiconductors, where right now there's a chip crunch and you have uh, many industries that are suffering from the fact that they don't have the semiconductors to produce the products that they need. Some of these industries are right now on, are idling because of it. And you have pronosticators and talking heads in, in both the mainstream media and the alt media saying, oh, we can start building microchip plants here. They don't realize, number one, you don't have the talent pool. Number two, you don't have the capabilities. Number three, that if you were to try, it will take you maybe 15, 20 years. 
They Unlocked, don't uh, yeah. get that. They don't understand what that means, Paul. Well, this is the thing. Here's the. I mean, here's the thing. If the U.S. wants to become a vibrant nation, what does it? It needs to rebuild all its infrastructure, and it's not going to cost two trillion dollars. It'll probably be five, ten trillion dollars, and the costs are rising and rising and rising on a weekly, monthly, yearly basis. And that's just to get that you have the the bare bones of what you need. Then the question is, okay. How do you have an economy that can support a manufacturing base? Like you say, where's the talent? You know, you have to change your entire education system and 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 and, and a plan for the future. And you're not going to get the first lot of people through a different education system and a different way of doing things. It takes, like you say, 10, 20, 30 years. That's the reality. You can't you can't change decades of neglect inside a country and flip a light switch and magically it all works and and these are the enormous challenges that the u.s faces now are they surmountable yes they are surmountable but then the situation is you have to get all these people wedded to this political system and they you need to get rid of them you need to have a whole different way of governing and you need to have a a long-term strategy that says do you know what this transcends politics this is an executive order that can't be overturned and it's, right, for the next 10 years, we're going to do all these things. We're going to rebuild America. Okay, how are we going to finance it? Let's, let's not park that discussion because that's an entirely separate thing. But what are these goals? We need infrastructure. We need to re- re- redefine our uh, health system, education, social welfare. How are we going to plan? What plans are we going to have for long-term job opportunities? How do we attract investment into a nation that no one trusts where's the investment where, yeah. where, what are the yeah you imagine those challenges and and then but no don't worry trump's gonna you know he's gonna remove the deep state and america will be the greatest nation on the planet and none of these are problems by the way the the this is the, the thing people and, and be conditioned in the op media to believe in fairy tales and fantasy stories there is an enormous problem that is going to take a long time and you know, it could take 10 years, it could take 20, it could take 50 years. It depends on the, 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 the any long-term planning. And if you have a political system as it exists now, whatever someone manages to do in a year or two is going to be trashed by someone else coming. It'll go, but this is a political system. I have to oppose everything the person did previously. So I have to rip up all the legislation because that's what the American people believe in, because that's democracy. Even though it's a complete farce, there's nothing democratic about it. And, that, and these are the challenges. So how do you how do you get around those problems? Who is going to actually even be able to sit down and go, we need a 20-year plan. We need some key milestones along that, that path. Who's going to identify the risks, all the dependencies, what assumptions are we going to make? How do we change things? How do we bring all the American military home? What are what are those military going to do? Well, actually, we could get them to do some positive things inside the U.S. But itself, how do, what 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 can we actually do? Who's even given this a moment's thought? No one. It's great to come out and go. We need an infrastructure bill, but that's just that's just them going. Oh, well, China did this. So so now the U.S. is trying to copy everything China did and thinks it can just do it by saying they're going to do it without actually realizing 
ironically, the political system that everyone in the West says is communism, which it isn't, the political system in China is the only reason why it worked. If they'd done a Western model in, and um, the sort of 90s around that time, they thought about mimicking the West. And then the people who I know said to them, you can't mimic the West, it will fail. You have to do things in a way that will benefit China. Use your political system to have long-term goals and aspirations. Yeah. And the political system worked for them. Now, that doesn't mean we have a Chinese political system because it wouldn't work in the West. You couldn't convince people of this, even though the Chinese people believe in it because it works for them and it does work for them. But you need to take elements of that that says long-term plans, long-term development. And people need to sit there and go, I'm just, we're at ground zero. We're going to lay the, the foundation for this. I'm prepared to put the effort in that's going to benefit my children, my grandchildren, and my great-grandchildren. I'm, we're building a dynasty for the future of the nation. It's not, how can I get rich quick? How can I make tons of money tomorrow, yesterday, last week? How am I going to benefit? It's all about me, me, me. Well, if you want it to be about me, 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 then your country is never going to evolve. It's never going to improve. So there's another huge problem. How do you change people's mindset? Where they appreciate that you're building a dynasty for the future. That's whether people like to believe it or not, is how China operates. China says, we're building a future. And generations will go, I'm going to make my children's life better. And the children, I want to make my grandchildren's life better. I'm part of a system, and I'm prepared to put in all the hard work that benefits them. I might not get all the delivery from this, but I'm prepared to do this. That's what Western nations have to do. And here's the truth. Let's be, let's be honest and look at ourselves. How many people currently in Western nations are prepared to accept that we have to you know, roll up our sleeves, uh, toil, sweat blood for the future of our nations? How many people are genuinely prepared to do that? That's a question only any individual can ask, but it's not going to be that many. But what they don't realize is if they don't build a dynasty, then nothing will improve, nothing will change. And we're just highlighting a few of the enormous challenges that the West faces. So if you think there's an idea that you get rid of whatever you perceive this deep state cabal to be and it's all going to work magically, it's not. It only works magically when you have the entire nation driving in the same direction, or most people who've let go of all the things they believe in there. Never mind the fact they're going to have to deal with the fallout of not believing in things, but you're going to, they're going to turn it magically in a light switch moment and change direction. No. A lot of people will give up. A lot of people will be fed up. A lot of people will say the system's failed me. I'm not interested anymore. Curl up in a ball and, and just don't want to do anything. So it's a long-term process. And we have to accept that probably for a lot of us in our lifetime. We're just trailblazers to be part of that process of rebuilding. But it's a legacy that generations to come will look back and go, you were part of the process. Yeah, you laid the groundwork to make America the great nation amongst equals. It should be. And that's the legacy that we in, in the world now hopefully leave for future generations. And we have to accept that. Or we just do nothing, just expect someone else to fix it 
and they won't do, and then we'll be sat here in 20, 30, 40 years' time going, well, nothing's changed. Why has nothing changed? And, and, and expecting someone else to resolve it, and that's why it has to be a, a collective will amongst people who have let go of all the, the nonsense to divide and conquer us. Is that a challenge? It's not just a challenge. It's an enormous challenge, and we have to accept the fact that, that it's not going to happen easily and there has to be a conscious change in people's attitudes across the board not well there's a group of me and my friends who believe in this that's not going to change anything it's changing the perspective of enough people in the population because a lot of people are just sheep they'll just follow the herd so if you get a, enough people they'll all go okay this is the way forward yeah let's just do this but also remember most people are conditioned to just do as they're told from a child, you know, you're in school, you just do as the teacher tells you. You do a job. You don't challenge your superior. You don't challenge anything. Well, people are going to have to challenge things. People are going to have to become more of a leadership role. They're going to have to take responsibility. Is that gonna, how, how difficult is that to convince generations of people that actually you are responsible? You're going to have to take that responsibility. You're going to have to make decisions. If you want freedom... And real freedom, with it comes responsibility and making tough decisions. So that's something else we have to factor in. I mean, there's a 100,000 things we have to factor into our thinking. So I'm not trying to demoralize people. I'm just saying this is reality. Yeah, Can we and this, this is – I mean, you touched base on it. We're, we're, we're coming down to the home stretch. But, but yeah, you, you know, Paul, you're right. It, it, it's the – the West has changed culturally where everything is me, 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 you know? And when you look at the East and many Eastern nations, China being an example, you have, these are civilizational governments, right? They're trying to build civilization. That's what they're trying to do. And you got idiots in the West, you know, who spread a lot of the fake news, like the, the latest whole thing with concentration camps by the Uyghurs, which is the most utter bullshit I've ever heard in my entire life. And it only works Absolutely. in the in the brain dead West, and I'll tell you why. And most Westerners don't get this. And this is how the the West and the CIA propagandizes you with you know people from morons from epoch times and whatnot. First of all, the Uyghur population had an average living age of fifty. Now their life expectancy is seventy. The most popular singer in China, Paul, is a Uyghur woman. The most yep. popular pop star in china is a uyghur woman okay third uyghur students have an easier time getting into top universities than the native han chinese okay they are where they're given halal meals that are sp uh, that are prepared you know separately from the general student body population they're also given prayer rooms the uh, majority of mosques have increased in Xinjiang, okay? The mosque went from having maybe like 3,000 to 5,000 mosques. There are over 20,000 mosques, okay? And it's into this backdrop. The, the Uyghurs are so ingrained in China that their language is inscribed on the Chinese currency itself. Think about this for a second. And they want you to believe that China's genociding these people. But excuse yeah, my, but excuse my French. Are you fucking kidding me? How 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 deceived are Westerners? 
Think about this for a second. It's, 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 it's incredible, Paul. And I have people that are right there in Xinjiang. You can go there. Nobody's picking cotton. It's the most craziest thing in the world. It's all automated. I mean, look, I've been, I've been there. I've seen, seen it with my own eyes. And, and we've said this before. The whole point was the West fermented terrorism in Xinjiang. They wanted to hive it off because it's the gateway to Eurasia. And it's also very resource it's important to the, to the Silk Road, to the BRI. That, that's all yes. it is. It has nothing to do with all. Think about this. The U.S. has bombed how many Muslim countries? It has displaced tens of millions. 500,000 Iraqi children died under U.S. sanctions where Madeline, Madeline Halfbright said it was worth it. Now, all of a sudden, the U.S. that has bomb eviscerated into the Stone Age, I can't even count how many Islamic countries. Now, all of a sudden, they care about the Muslims in China. Bunch of nonsense. Folks, you're being played. Wake up. Well, I mean, that's the frustrating part is, and I, I, we saw evidence of this where there was people who who were backing Trump because they they realized just how failed the U.S. political system is now. Okay, we know Trump didn't achieve what he was supposed to. But anyway, the principle is they understood the system had failed, and they never no, noticed before before the Trump administration there was they never talked about Xinjiang, they never talked about China violating human rights or anything, and it was never an issue. Suddenly. The very people who understand the entire system had failed heard Trump criticizing China and then jumped on the bandwagon going, well, because Trump says this, it makes it true. Well, who do they think was feeding Trump a load of nonsense about China? Pompeo. Bolton. And, 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 and you know, and the, yeah, the, the very people they despise in the political system were, were feeding Trump a bunch of nonsense. But it just shows that because Trump said it, oh, therefore it validates it. But as I said... Why weren't they complaining about Xinjiang prior to this? And I said in March 2018, when it was obvious that the, that the, the trade war was, was going to was manifesting itself and there was going to be serious rivalry from the US side to China, I said, you're going to see a propaganda war that makes whatever they did with Russia pale into insignificance. Yeah, it, it, and that's and, exactly and what it was. It was very it, obvious. You know? Yep. It was obvious yep. then what was coming. And you know, so it's all well and good to to understand the systems fail, and 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 but but to fall for you know baseless propaganda, and not actually ask the question: Okay, when did this trouble start in Xinjiang? What 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 actually happened? I mean, there was there was you know displaced people that you know who are, who are now in terror cells in Syria, and the Chinese fear they may end up coming back to to. To Xinjiang, so they have to they have to deal with the problem. The people in Xinjiang said, "We've got a terror threat. We want you to deal with it." Right, and they dealt with it. And and Xinjiang's a peaceful region. The people are really lovely people, very friendly. They're treated with respect and decency. And people go, "Well, and at least I can qualify that by saying, well, I know because I saw it with my own eyes.' And, and and unless you've seen it with your own eyes, then you're believing what you've been told." And do you really believe that you're being told the truth when, you know, I mean, it's a bit like the weapons of mass destruction. Was that the only time that you were lied to by for foreign policy gain? And, and as you said, look at all the children who died as a result of sanctions and starvation. Look at all the, the, the issue in Fallujah with White Phosphorus. I, 
one time quite a few years back i can't remember now i was uh, back in the when i worked in the financial system area i was there really late one night and i obviously lived quite a long way out and we were doing some some work and they just said just look just phone a you know ta- taxi don't don't worry about the cost you know just get don't you know it was too late you couldn't get home by train anyway so what's the alternative find a hotel which costs even more Anyway, called him and I got got in this taxi and this guy turned out he was, you know, he was speaking to me and I said, I, forgive me, I don't know where you're from, but you're obviously from the Middle East. He went, yeah, I was originally in Iraqi and I lived there and we started talking about the first Iraq war and then he talked about the second one and I said, oh, I know all about Fallujah and the white phosphorus. And he was absolutely shocked. He goes, wow, someone who actually understands what happened. And we talked at length about it. And, you know, he, he was actually from Fallujah. And he said, told me some harrowing stories about it. And that was all on the basis of an absolute lie that now is irrefutably a lie. And no one, of course, will ever stand to be held responsible for that. But the idea that was the only time we were lied to. I mean, seriously, they, if they're prepared to lie to you to go to war and they're prepared to commit atrocities, uh, on on uh, totally innocent Iraqi people, then they're going to keep doing it because it's a policy objective. So they'll demonise whoever. They'll get the media to demonise. They'll you know, they'll convince the political system that this is reality. You can guarantee in the UK, the vast majority of, of politicians believe the Xinjiang story because they'll have been told credible intelligence <laughs> and they believe it, it. now paul I, I did show you exclusive video footage from the nigerian yellow cake factory you do remember that right paul <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's this is this is this is what we're dealing with so i'm sorry you know it, i mean the u.s is talking about how china's an adversary and an enemy and then people aren't going well, maybe the propaganda isn't true. Maybe, maybe this isn't reality. It's, when it's like the whole Scripple thing and Navalny thing with, with regards to Russia. Yeah, because the one thing Russia would do if they wanted to kill these people is use Novichok. I mean, no, they'd just go and get someone with a gun and shoot the person. I, I, I thought they would use a nail gun, Paul. You know, I mean, you know... I, I, and then not only did they convince people in the West that they did it with the Scripples, but, uh, but no, Russia was decided to do it again with Navalny and people in the West. You know, go, yes. at first you don't succeed. <laughs> yeah. Let's I mean let's use the same thing the same weapon again, Novichok. I mean, you know, if if Russia wanted to kill people, A they'd be dead and B they'd use a hundred different ways that didn't, you know, point any finger to them directly. I mean this is but but again this is the kind of nonsense that people believe in. And right. and 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 Therefore, here's the question. If there's all a global governance uh, structure, why are they doing all these things to Russia, to China, to North Korea, to Iraq, uh, to Southeast Asia? Why are they trying to overthrow governments there? Why are they trying to get in Africa? Why are they disrupting the global south? Yeah. Yes. Why are they trying to do it with Central America? And, and, you know, well, the, the, the simpletons would say it's all they're pitting one against the other. They're all controls, blah, 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 so on and so forth. Yeah. The Americans are doing this because these nations are defying the unipolar world that, that Putin's right never existed. 
they, they tried to have a unipolar world and it failed. And that's the reason why the US is all over the world trying to do these things, because they're not playing ball with the current system. And if the current system didn't matter, and it was all going to magically disappear because they're going to roll out this new dystopian world, they wouldn't be bothering to waste time trying to overthrow nations, destabilize them, because they're all part of the new the new world. So, and of course, we know they're not because they're part of their own new world, and the old world's falling apart. And and you know, and people say, oh well, that's just logic. No, it's reality. That that's what we're dealing with. It's as simple as that. If you if you were controlling the world, you wouldn't waste all the time and effort trying to destabilize nations. No. For what purpose? If they were on your side anyway, you just go. Well, we don't need to do this. I mean, here's the point: they're not trying to destabilize. The, the, the European nations are not trying to overthrow anybody who's on their side. Well, there you go. They, you, with America, you choose a side. Well, if the world's controlled by all the same powers, then you wouldn't need to choose a side because you're all on the same side. So America wouldn't be going, you're either with us or against us. You're against us because you're not part of what of their belief system, which is failing, or their unipolar world, which has failed. And that's that's just reality. There's There's no... There's not. There's no other way to discuss it in very simple terms. That's it. So people will. And there's a lot of people out there who are convincing everyone it's all part of a global master plan. Well, it isn't. I mean, that this nonsense has to end. I don't care who says yeah. this or or what, what you or anyone who's trying to convince you that. That's just because that from their perspective, the West has to dominate. It always controls everything, so it can never fail. Well, and you know the most funniest thing is, Paul, the West only had a leg up in only the last few hundred years. That's all it is. Yeah, and that well, that's the point. China's civilizations existed for four thousand years. And how long? How long is the the Western Empire? Yeah, okay, yeah, India. India's exist. You know, they're 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 the oldest yeah. uh, civilization in the world. Over five thousand years civilization that's that's existed. That were. I mean, my God! I mean, it, it the most it was the wealthiest country in world history, and on top, people don't understand that. Like, if, if you're in the Middle Ages in Europe, I mean, if you had a choice between being in the Middle Ages in, in Europe or being in India, you would choose India. The aristocrats there had a much higher quality of life. You had grid cities. You had very advanced technology. It was incredible. It was incredible. People don't yeah, understand and, this, and, Paul. And that's the problem. That once India realizes it doesn't have to be a vassal state of America, it can actually become or start to make the necessary strides forward and to be a, a yeah, it's strong got to, It's got to throw off that yoke of Commonwealth. It's got to get rid of that Commonwealth uh, title. Yes. That's what it, yeah, needs, to. Exactly. it needs to be. It needs to be free of the city of London, and then it's, uh, then it could, it could actually start doing things, you know. But it's too much political infighting there. But anyway, Paul, thank you. It's always a pleasure having you on. No, likewise. Yeah, always a pleasure. Uh, yeah, Habeshek, uh, the Brits stole trillions from India. It actually, I think the, the last count was uh, in, in modern terms would be the equivalent of 37 to 40 trillion worth of treasure. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, where did it all go? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. There's, uh, you know, there's all these colonial powers trying to plunder the world, and they've got nothing to show for it. And, you know, you know, we're not justifying what they're doing, by the way. We're just highlighting, yep. well, not not just the evil nature, but just the sheer stupidity. And incredibly incompetent. 
Because it, 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 they're too sloven, they're too greedy. And give me a break. I mean, yeah. I mean, you look at a guy like Alexander Soros. You think that you, you spend like 10 minutes talking to that kid. There's no way you're going to come away and be like, this is an elite individual. <laughs> Sorry. You're just not. Like, this kid's a moron. Well, well, here's the thing. You know, to be to be fair, I mean, the the kind of really intelligent. That I mean, okay, they ultimately were flawed as well. But when you look at the intelligentsia of like Brzezinski and people like that, who actually were able to sit there, okay, they made loads of failed policy decisions ultimately, but they were strategizing. Those kind of generation of people have got they're who, gone, who's man. Who's strategizing now? No one. All Nobody, they're doing it, is- it, 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 it's basically a bunch of Harvard and Yale grads who have zero field experience, they're the ones putting together all the strategies. It's a joke. And they're all lawyers, man. They're all lawyers. None of them have any sort of real deep scientific backgrounds or engineering backgrounds or anything like that. They're a bunch of law guys. That's all it is. That That's who's dictating U.S. foreign policy, U.S. military policy, the whole nine yards. It's all a bunch of lawyers. Enjoy. It doesn't work out well in the end. Anyway, no. folks, thank you all for listening in. Again, you can catch on the poll over at theseriousreport.com, theseriousreport.com, where less than the price of a flappe lappe mape with a double shot of espresso at Starbucks, you can get the Serious Report delivered to you daily from London Paul himself. Go there, theseriousreport.com. The links are in the description box. And with that being said, Paul, I want to thank you for being on. And, folks, hit uh, – well, soon we're, we're literally a week or so away from being <laughs> back on our main channel. So I'm, I'm excited, Paul. Yeah, just don't be naughty boys, I guess. I won't, I won't, I won't say it. It's all CJ's fault. He's always talking about Yeah, me. yeah, yeah. I, yeah, you've got to blame someone. <laughs> so, yeah, it's CJ's fault. <laughs> CJ, are you there? I think he fell asleep again. <laughs> Uh, it's 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 all that burden of responsibility for having you uh, banned. <laughs> It's, it's yep. tidy, man. <laughs> Absolutely. And with that being said, folks, we are over and out. Take it away, CJ.